Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucet, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette, and as we do every Thursday, we're joined by a brand new guest talking about their life and their journey through the world of martial arts and other stuff they've been involved in. Uh, my guest today, Sensei William Christopher Ford, has been an actor. He's done stunts, directed, producer, and more. He's been involved in projects such as Knight Rider, The Last Dojo, Karate Kid 3, and many, many more. He's been studying martial arts for almost 50 years and is the chief instructor at the Kazen Dojo, I hope I pronounced that correctly, in Torrance, California, and he was inducted into the Masters Hall of Fame in 2012. Please welcome to the show today, William Christopher Ford. How are you doing today, sir? Hey, thanks for having me, sir. And if I may, it's actually Kaizen Dojo. Kaizen, okay. It was 50-50. Yeah. I had them both written down. I figured I'd take a shot on one. <laughs> so Kaizen it's Dojo. Okay. Okay. Well, cool. Kaizen is a Japanese word that has come to mean continual improvements. Okay. And it was adopted by the Toyota Corporation for a long time in regards to, you know, how they manufactured their products and how they run their business. And it was a philosophy that was you know, very, very deeply taught within the culture of the company, you know, how can we improve? How do we make things better? And I like that word very much. Okay. And when we opened the dojo, it was uh, kind of like, well, what should we call it? And I thought, you know, Kaizen Dojo would be kind of a cool uh, philosophy to um, base the school on. And, uh, you know, not... You know, you you can you can always continually improve every day. Right. And as as long as people are doing that, um, as students or martial artists or teachers or human beings, then you can't fail. So it's setting it's setting people up for success more so uh, me than anybody else. Because if I remember that, oh, I've got to continually improve that. Uh, sets the goal for me to work on that, uh, you know, as an instructor and as a teacher and as a human being. So that's how that name came about. Wow. Long, long, long story short. <laughs> yeah, a great name for a school, though. So what we like to do with all my guests, I want to go back to the beginning. I know, I know I read in your bio you started studying martial arts in 1974, but I want to know what led to that. Well, where was that first spark? Obviously, back then, martial arts wasn't anywhere near as, as big as it was. There's not, you know, 30 schools in every community and stuff. So how, how did that start for you back then? Do you remember the old Kung Fu show with David Carradine? Oh yes. That was the first that was the first memory I had of seeing Asian martial arts done. Watching that show that became my favorite show and it was like that character Kwai Chang Kane, he was superhuman to me. You know, set in the old west and then, you know, on the run and every episode he'd have to use his martial arts skills and he just wiped the floor up with the bad guys or his stunt double would. Um, but um, I, that was the first, uh, the first time I'd seen martial arts and it intrigued me. 
Now, here in California, there used to be a theme park called uh, Japanese Village and Deer Park, and it was kind of a uh, theme park based on on Japan. Okay. And it it presented Japanese culture. There was like Japanese dance. There was pearl diving, and one of the shows was karate. So my parents took me to this theme park a couple of times. And we watched the karate show, and it was starring none other than Fumio Demura and his oh, wow. and his students. Okay. And they performed karate live. It was the first time I'd seen karate performed live. And they did it very theatrically. And it was like watching a fight scene in a movie. And that intrigued me. So now you've got David Carradine as Kwai Chan Kane and Sensei Fumio Demura. And the seeds were planted. Now, I hadn't been taking karate at that time, but soon afterwards, I was in the third grade and a friend of mine, and I remember his name, his name was Joseph Hiraoka. And he said, hey, I started taking karate at this dojo down the street, and you got to take it too. And he said, you're getting a little chubby. (laughs) (laughs) So he told my mom, he said, Miss Ford, you know, we, we already signed him up. And my mom's like, what? And she says, oh, you know, and, and Joseph was, you know, he's kind of a, he was a little guy, but he was kind of a take charge, you know, bossy kind of guy. Okay. So we go down to the dojo and it was being taught by a man named Glenn Rabago. And they taught Shorinru Karate, which is an Okinawan style of karate. Yep. And of course, Okinawa, as you know, is the birthplace of karate. Mm-hmm. It, you know, there were other martial arts that influenced karate, such as you know, Chinese forms and forms of martial arts from Siam, and uh, you know, maybe even some Roman, Greco-Roman, you know, type of things. You know, because of um, the location of Okinawa, but eventually it evolved into what we now know as karate. So that was my first dojo, and it's funny because when I met Sensei Glenn. I thought, yeah, I had in my mind, you know, well, he's a martial arts master. How are you supposed to talk to him? You know, I, was, I was still a kid. I was seven years old. So I started talking like Kwai Chang Kane did in Kung Fu, you know, <laughs> and, and, I, and I don't speak with an accent or anything, but he, and he was this guy from Hawaii and he goes, so you like start karate? And I said, yes, master, but first may I use your bathroom? And my mom who was from Japan just looked at me like, what is wrong with this kid? And he kind of looked at me kind of strange. So I was put into my karate gi and I started. And and very quickly, I, I, I discovered that I was not very coordinated. And I also didn't like my instructor very much because he was very, you know, even back in the day, this was back in the 70s, you know, he kind of kicked us around he, you know, he made me, he made me spar him, and I didn't have very much experience. And you know, I ran into a sidekick, and it was um, not just you know, kind of tough love. It was you know, kind of on the verge of like abusive because he was he was dealing with some of his own demons. Oh wow! So there's difference. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There there's difference between you know tough love and, and and hard work and old school and abuse, especially when it comes to training children. I didn't really. Uh, enjoy it and I, I i wanted to quit but fortunately glenn's brother richard took over the school glenn was out he kind of did his own thing and, and richard took it over and richard was much more responsible he was a great sensei and he would you know work us but he had children of his own and he 
never took it anything none of his personal stuff came out on the dojo floor and i always felt that wow he's great you know he's inspirational and that's who i stuck it out with through much of my um, martial arts career uh and i got my black belt under him wow okay and uh you know he was taught by a man named he had a couple of different instructors but mainly under a man named tadashi amashita who was well-known as being Chuck Norris's half-brother and opponent in a movie called The Octagon. I'm not sure, I'm not sure if you remember that. Yes, oh yeah. He played uh, Sakura, and he was also the Black Star Ninja in this movie called American Ninja. Great movie. Been in it, been <laughs> in it kind of stuff. And, yeah. and since Yamashita is still around, you know, he's, uh, I think, close to 80. And uh, the first time I trained under, well, the first time I, you know, I took my black belt test, Nobody told me that I was going up for my test. I was a brown belt. I was 12 years old. And back then, they just wouldn't tell you, you know. And so I, I show up. Sensei walks in. First time I never met him. You know, he's intimidating. And I was told, oh, you know, you're you're going up for your black belt, which I guess was a junior black belt at the time. Mm-hmm. So I performed. Did the best I could, but I just remember I couldn't take my eyes off of it. I just I just fixated on something I watched it because I was so scared. So I just I was just stare I just stared at him as I was doing all my cops and everything. And at the end of this whole process, I did not pass. Oh. He did not feel I I was worthy of being promoted. And I was okay with that because I really didn't want to take that test anyways. I I, I wasn't interested in rank even back then. Okay. But needless to say, three months later, and you know, my mom bugging me and making sure <laughs> you gotta practice, you know, because I think there's a little bit of, you know, Asian honor there, you know, going over. You know, my mom was, you know, felt kind of like a little bit that you know, there was a little bit of shame and you know, well, you didn't work hard enough. You know, what what did you do wrong? You know, as, as many mothers, you know, right. like, oh you know, what happened? You know, why did why didn't you why didn't you do your best? And then when I was 13, I retook the test and I passed. And uh, that was the beginning of really my, my, my education started there. Okay. Now, there was one more factor, a gentleman by the name of Bruce Lee, <laughs> who affected the entire world. You know, I mean, you know, one of the most, if not the most influential martial artists in history. And our dojo went down to, we got invited to a uh, screening of something called the Game of Death, which they took footage that had been shot by Bruce and had never, it hadn't been released. And the last time people had seen Bruce in a movie was like, I think, Enter the Dragon. So everybody was super excited. There was this big thing down in Hollywood and they invited all these dojos to come down because they needed to fill the theater. And everybody got in for free as long as you wore a karate uniform or a kung fu uniform or something. We go down there. My mom even got a uniform, and she wasn't even a martial artist. <laughs> Brandon Lee was there, his sister Shannon, their wow. mom Linda, Dan Inosanto, and you know all these people who were in the movie. We go into the theater, and I just thought, oh, this is really cool. We get to see a free movie and and all that. The lights go off. The people go crazy. You know, because there were all these diehard fans in there as well as, you know, Mr. Innocenzo's own school. And I'm just sat there intrigued and the electricity was just amazing. You could feel it. It was very palpable inside the movie theater. I didn't realize that, you know, that most of that was not Bruce. And uh, it was years later when I looked at the movie, I said, oh, my gosh, that's super (laughs) bad. 
Yeah, like they, they they took a cardboard cut out of Bruce's yeah. face, and they, you know, I mean, you look at it now, and you're going, "Oh, there's so much they could do with CGI and and things like that." They should almost redo it with CGI. Yeah, they it'd should. It'd be interesting they, to see how they could pull that off. <laughs> yeah, they should. They, they maybe they should remake that and reboot it. You know, yeah. but you know, the end where they actually use the footage where Bruce shows up in the tracksuit, and the audience just goes nuts, and people are snapping pictures, and I'm like what is going on? What, what changed? You're not realizing that, you know, that was the real Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time people had seen this footage of him fighting, you know, Dan Inosanto and then the Korean master and then Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah. But I went home so excited and I started ordering things from magazines and my mom, you know, would buy me all these martial arts magazines because she felt it was, you know, would help keep me motivated. And there was an ad for some yellow nunchucks and they were just like the ones in the game of death. And you could order it with a chain or with a string. And back then it was Asian world of martial arts, which is still, still around in Philadelphia, I Mm -hmm. believe. And uh, I waited and waited and waited. And finally they came and back then they could ship it to California. They can't do that now. I don't think. And it was like, you know, it came and I opened up this package and you could hear the the heavens part and you, you heard the, <laughs> the angelic chorus. Oh! <laughs> and I grabbed these nunchucks and I swung them and I hit the lamp <laughs> <laughs> and I hit my head and I hit my elbow and I hit my knee and I was hooked. It was just like, oh my god, this is so. This was so cool. That's great. And and then all those elements that I just told you about basically set me on the path that um, the path of no return, and it eventually led me to where I am talking to you today. Okay. So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it, sir. Nice, nice. So, at what level did you start teaching? Because obviously, it's something you still do to this day. So, at what what belt level, and and in, in what school did you start teaching at first? You know, I've stuck with Shoren Ru as my baseline art, even to this day. It's mm-hmm. still the art I teach, although I have cross-trained. Mm-hmm. But Sensei Robago had me assisting, you know, on the floor with other students. You know, hey, could you go help a little Michelle? You know, she needs to learn this kata. And so I would. And early on, I was very patient. I, I still am very patient with people, very patient with beginners, good with kids. And... As I got older, you know, especially after I got my black belt, there were times when Sensei Robago would say, okay, can you teach? Yeah, of course, Sensei. Great. I'm tired. I'm going to go home. You have the key. You know, I didn't drive. I I had to wait for my mom to (laughs) pick me up. But that's how I got my training. And it was sort of on-the-job training. Nobody trained me how to teach. And I made a lot of mistakes. Mm -hmm. I made a lot of mistakes for decades I think I still do, but not as many. I, I figured it out. I've made enough mistakes to where, and okay, yeah, that's that's how I would handle this. But yeah, maybe since 1985-ish, is I've been teaching that long in in some form or another, in you know somewhere or another, and at some point, maybe around 19 to 99 to 2000, I kind of went out on my own and started teaching. I was teaching at like the veterans building, you know, they were just renting out that facility mm-hmm. using other schools, um, dance schools, um, other dojos. And eventually I was able to get my own place. And 
I've been at this current location for for the last ten years. Okay. November, we celebrated our tenth anniversary at our current location. Congrats! Cool. And it's 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 at the point you know where I I do have a reputation out there through Yelp and things like that. We always have you know people interested you know and kids drive our program you know it's mostly mm-hmm. kids that. Is if it wasn't for the kids and their families, um, we wouldn't have made it. So, you know, we, we cater primarily to kids. Sometimes, uh, we, you know, parents want to take karate. So we do, we started adult classes that are like, okay, all these adults are the dads and moms of the kids who are currently in the school. Nice. So that was kind of a cool thing. And it's not just karate. I have a very open progressive mind i like boxing you know muhammad ali is still my my, my hero in, in in regards to boxing i like jujitsu uh, filipino martial arts kickboxing styles like muay thai you know wrestling you know catch wrestling things like that all of those things all of those things i like very much and i'm very open and um I, you know i wouldn't say that necessarily all those things get taught but somehow some of it always makes its way in, but it's certainly uh, we certainly use boxing hands combined, you know, we, with boxing guards and things like that in regards to you know my approach to combat. And you know, I like to it's it's helpful for the kids to keep their hands up. Um, so that's kind of what it is. It's yeah, it's still Shoranru, but it's okay. definitely influenced by by the other martial arts. Good, that's nice. So what do you think then has changed mostly about your teaching style over the years? I mean, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but uh, what, what do you, what do you think's changed the most over the years from your teaching style? Well, I, I still believe in hard work, but also I think it's important to be able to scale up and scale down because I have taught people who are 70 years old and I can't ask them to kneel down or do certain things. So we say, okay, what can you do? What can simulate this? And we come up with a way to adapt it to whatever their needs are. Um, similarly, I have taught kids who have autism and kids who have Down syndrome, or they may have some sort of physical disability. And being able to adapt the martial arts, the system to, so it, so it serves the students. It's not so much a, there are some, there are some instructors who, who put money first, and there are some instructors who put the art, and I always put the person first, the student first. The student has to come first before money and before the art. I think that it, we're here to serve the students, and you've got to be able to make it work for them. Otherwise, why are they doing it? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Definitely, yes. So I'm not a purist in that sense. It's, well, you know, well, what's best for the students? Now, that doesn't mean that I, I say, okay, you know what? Go ahead and do a cartwheel, Johnny. You know, it's okay. You can do that in the middle of the form. It's like, well, you know, I still have my tradition. It's like, no, you can do that on your own. But there is a tradition that I adhere to, but it is slightly modified. But not so much that it's like, oh, my gosh, what is that? It's, it, it, you know, it, it, it's not ridiculous. Right. And But I, I definitely have become, you know, and, and here's the thing, you know, Brian, I used to, I used to look at other styles and, you know, yeah, I was open, but, you know, I would sometimes be very negative about other instructors and saying, eh, she's no good. You know, what are they doing there? They're, they're, you know, and 
you know, I've come to realize that, you know what, everybody is doing their best, I think. You know, yeah, there are some opportunists. There are some people out there who, you know, may not be, uh, may not have the best, the students' best interest at heart. I get those. You know, those, there's always going to be shysters. There's always going to be, you know, charlatans, right. snake oil salesmen and women. However, I think I've become a lot more open in regards to, you know, what, just because someone's doing it differently doesn't mean you can make it wrong. And if their students are getting benefit and they truly care about their students and maybe they're not teaching it old school hard way, you know, then who's to say that's wrong? And I've taken some of that approach where, you know, back in the day, you know, 30 years ago or whatever, you know, it would be like, go hard or go home. And my instructor was like that too. And we, we drove we drove away a lot of people in the first couple of weeks because of our egos, because we wanted to show that we were the toughest. And if you can hang with us, then you deserve to be with us. That's the wrong approach, because how many those are the people that needed us the most. And we drove them away because we wanted to show how tough we are. So first day on the mat, you know, 100 squats, you know, push ups <laughs> to you puke. There is definitely you can have a class that is a hardcore class where you guys train really super hard and you you know you push yourselves, but you got to do it smart. You know you ha- you have to train wisely, and you want to take care of yourself, your back and your knees especially, because as we grow older, you're gonna regret not being able to do that, right? Definitely. <laughs> oh yeah. You know it's like you know some of these guys are like, hey man, yeah, I remember back in the day we used to do it this way, and my question is, okay. Well, are you still practicing your art now? Well, you know, I would, but my knees and, you know, my back. And because I couldn't practice, I really let myself go. But, you know, back in the day, we did it this way. It's like, well, yeah, but you can't do it now. You know, that's that's very sad. Right. So that's where I have a different approach. You know, it's like, hey, look, do what you can right now here in this moment. Adjust it accordingly. I can still kick high. That doesn't mean you have to kick high. Kick to the knee. That's actually better. You know, <laughs> if you are training to the point, if you hear something pop, that's not good. You can't necessarily work through that, you know, so take care of yourself. Self-care, very important. Um, that's that's something I've learned over the years. Good. That's a now, good thing to learn. <laughs> now, I have a question for you. You know, you mentioned that you did Kempo with Larry Tatum. One of the, certainly one of the greats I've heard his yeah. name even when I was a kid, and Jeff Speakman, who certainly uh, made a name not only in the Kempo world, but in the movies. I remember seeing The Perfect Weapon. It was yes. just being like, oh, uh, my God, this guy's got the fastest hands <laughs> I've ever seen in the world. The Perfect Weapon is the reason I moved to California in 1996, actually. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Are you still in touch with those gentlemen? No, I actually interviewed Larry on my show a couple months ago, Before I think it was before Christmas, and, okay, and I'm going to be interviewing Jeff. We haven't scheduled a time yet, but uh, oh, that's terrific! Yeah, I'm I mean, glad I, that they're still into contact. Yeah, with you. I mean, I unfortunately didn't get to. I, I I didn't really stay in contact with with Jeff. I only trained with him a few times. <laughs> I specifically moved to an area where his school was, and when I got there, he had moved his school. Oh, so I only got to go to his new it. school a couple times, and then Larry's school was about 65 miles away. So I, I had a local school I was going to, and then I was able to go to a couple, you know, handful of classes with Larry. But I did stay in touch with Larry over the years, and you know, we had a some you know local uh, Kempo stuff going on. And I was whenever I think someone's might be a good Kempo instructor, I always he's one of the first piece, people I will call or email and say, "Hey, do you know anything about this person? Are they legitimate?" And he's he's always been cool about answering my questions. So. Well, that's great. And, you know, Kempo is such a, you know, 
it, it can mean so many different things, you know, when you say Kempo, because, you know, there's an old school meaning of Kempo. There is American Kempo as created by, you know, Grandmaster Ed Parker. Mm-hmm. There, there's, it, it can mean a lot of different things. Yeah. So sometimes people think Kempo and they automatically think, oh, you mean Ed Parker's Kempo. Well, mm-hmm. Maybe, but not necessarily. Yeah, it could be Tracy Kempo, or Shaolin Kempo. Could be, yes. Yeah. It's and, 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 and stylistically, it can look very different also because people always think of it as, you know, using the circular hands and, you know, a lot of slapping and, you know, the techniques have certain names, you know, um, which I think the names are really super cool and it yeah. helps you remember stuff, you know. Um, but I, uh, I think that, you know, definitely, you know, Mr. Parker, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's iconic and he changed history in regards to martial arts. My own former master, you know, Master Tadashi Yamashita, who I have not seen, you know, or trained with in 10 years, you know, we went our separate ways, but uh, he was good friends with Mr. Parker. And interesting thing is, is that, you know, when I used to go train with Sensei Yamashita in his garage, I would ask about certain individuals. And one of them was Mr. Parker. And, you know, he, he was friends with Mr. Parker and he always referred to him as Mr. Parker. He never called him Ed. He okay. never said Ed Parker. He said, yes, well, Mr. Parker said this. And so I I believe they were close, and he also held him in high regard. Okay. I know the, so, one of the schools I trained at, there was a handful of the guys who were original Ed Parker students that would pop into our school every now and then and, and train. And the, when the three of them were talking after class, they always referred to him as the old man. So I'm guessing they knew him very well. <laughs> <laughs> if they were referring to him as the old man, so I would have never well, done that. <laughs> you know that can be that can be a, a term of endearment and and uh, a term of great respect as well. Yeah, you know, definitely. Because, uh, you know, uh, you you should always fear the old man who knows martial arts, right? <laughs> exactly. Yep. You know, and it's interesting because, you know, I, I know um, Mr. Parker's son, Ed, Ed Parker Jr. very well because uh, I've commissioned him to do several works of art, you know, Amazing that artist. hang in my school. And he does, he's designed my uh, my belt rank certificates as well. Cool. So, okay. You know, I, I, that interviewed, I interviewed him also. <laughs> so. Yeah, nice, nice guy, yes. you know, Paxil Arts, you know, which is very, yep. very interesting. And, uh, you know, very, very interesting guy. I just, um, you know, I've been connected to him for years and uh, had a couple of occasions where I kind of talked to him a little bit, but a uh, very nice man as is his wife, a very nice person. I'll have to, uh, when we're done here, I'll t- tell you the story, how I first met him. It's kind of a cool story. So, Okay. That, <laughs> cool. that would but, be awesome. <laughs> but uh, I, I want to back up just a little. I want to know how your involvement with with TV and film and Hollywood and everything started. Okay. I was going to a local community college uh, called El Camino college in Torrance. And I was attracted to the acting classes because there were two individuals who influenced my decision to my desire to want to be in movies. One was Bruce Lee, of course, mm-hmm. and the other was Harrison Ford. I had seen a movie, a movie. I saw Star Wars in 1977. <laughs> I'm talking about it like it's like, hey, have you ever, have you ever heard of this little independent movie? And you know what? Huh? Actually, it was kind of an independent movie back, back then. then you yeah. know. So I saw Star Wars in 1977, and it changed my life. And the character I wanted to be was Han Solo. He had the cool ship, and I just like was like, oh my gosh, you know, Han Solo, and then he did Indiana Jones, and then you know, so I became a very big Harrison Ford fan, and I wanted to be in the movies. I wanted to, you know, be in action films, and uh, so I, I started taking some acting classes at El Camino College. Now I was very shy, also, so martial arts and acting helped me break out of that. And 
that's when I kind of also fell in love with the art of acting, you know, going deeper than just doing a fight scene and saying some lines there, you know, there's an art and it's through acting that you get to portray someone else and do things that you normally wouldn't do in your real life, or you might end up in jail. (laughs) But so, you know, I, I started to actually legitimately study acting. And then around that time, you know, I picked up a book at the local bookstore. They existed back then. And it was a book on the business of acting. And then I learned about, oh, you got to go get what's called a headshot. And then you got to have, this is what your resume should look like. And you put your training on here. And, and back then there was a magazine. Uh, it was a casting magazine that came out once a week. It was more like a newspaper called mm-hmm. Drama Log. And eventually it became something called Backstage West. And you pick up your drama log and you look and there were parts and you'd go ahead and get your headshot and put it in an envelope and seal it up and mail it. And maybe you'd get called to do some stuff. And I remember being in bed one Saturday and my buddy, who I'm still in, you know, who's still close to me, uh, calls me up and says, hey, they're doing an open call down in Burbank for something called Karate Kid 3. And... I'm like, okay, Karate Kid, they're doing another sequel. He goes, yeah, I'm looking for the villain. Okay. And they described it as sort of a, a white Mike Tyson type. <laughs> so we get in Yellow Camaro, we drive down to Burbank, 1,500 people in line, and it's like, oh, boy, this is, uh, I don't think this is going to go well. I stand in line. The director, John Avelson, who also directed the Rock, the, the first Rocky and the fifth Rocky, comes out, and he's got his cameraman, also assistant director um, named Clifford Coleman, and he goes down the line and just says, thank you for coming. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And then, you know, just, you know, kids are just getting out of line. He stops at me and my buddy's kind of elbowing me in the ribs going, he's coming, he's coming. And I'm just, no, he's not. No, he's not. He walks up to me and goes, hi, what's your name? And I was kind of nervous. And I said, hi, uh, sir, you know, and, um, he said, how old are you? I said, I'm 22 years old, sir. He says, oh, you know, you look a little old. You know, we need somebody who looks like they're kind of just out of high school. And you look a little old for that. I said, oh, really? He said, well, I said, well, can I give you my picture and resume? He goes, oh, yeah, sure. No problem. I said, well, thank you very much. And then, you know, I got on the line and I was like, well, I got further than, you know, anybody else. At least I gave him my stuff. And, I, you know, I, I, a week later, I got a call from a woman named Carol Jones, who was his casting director, and she wanted me to come in and read for the part of Mike Barnes, the bad boy of karate. So I guess they had not quite found who they were looking for. And I got a chance to go down to Hollywood and I read for the part of Mike Barnes. And when I was done, Carol said to me, thank you very much. That was very good. And I believed that. And I didn't get the call. And uh, I thought about it later on. And you know what? That was probably one of the worst auditions that she'd ever seen. But she was very nice. And, you know, typically casting people, they'll either say, all right, thanks. Or they'll say, thank you very much. That was excellent. And they don't mean it. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, listen, I I hadn't really had that much. You know, my my experience was at the local college, but I hadn't taken any professional classes at that time, you know, and and I was green. So, you know, I know that that was just an awful audition. So that's that. And I knew that production was supposed to start on something like December 5th or December 4th. And I was depressed. I went out for a run. I get back and there's a message on my answering machine. And it says, hi, this is Carol. Call me back. I call her back and she wants me to come down. And she says, hey, listen, um, the part of Mike Barnes has been cast, but 
uh, there's been some rewrites and we need a henchman, you know, a couple guys who can kind of like do martial arts and do fight stunts. And I said, I, I'll be there. <laughs> so I get down there and I meet with a gentleman named Pat Johnson, who, you know, very well known, oh, yeah. iconic martial artist, Tung Soto Black Belt under Chuck Norris, mm-hmm. I believe. He's the stunt coordinator. He also played the referee, you yeah. know, in the first movie, in the third one. And he says, oh, well, yeah, you look fine to me, but, you know, it's up to John. So, you know, we go over to the studio, and then pretty soon Ralph Macchio shows up. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is this is amazing. And, you know, he comes up to me, and he says, hi, I'm Ralph. And I shake his hand, and I'm like, yes, I know. You know, trying, <laughs> trying not to show how nervous I was. You know, it was so surreal. And then who sh- who else shows up but Fumio Demaro, who, as I mentioned earlier, was back in the karate show back at Japanese Village in Deer Park. Mm-hmm. He was the stunt double for Pat Morita. He did all the karate scenes yep. in the Karate Kid movies, as you know. And he and I had some history because I had attended, participated in his tournaments before, and I had brought books that he had written, and he autographed them, and uh, he liked me, and he liked my mom because we were Japanese. You know, I'm, I'm half Japanese, so, you know, he kind of... I'm sure he would have liked us anyways, but it was just a connection, you know, like, right. uh, so, Hey, what are you doing here? And I said, <laughs> Oh, sensei, I'm here to, I think I'm, I'm, I, you know, they want me to be like one of the henchmen or something. He goes, Oh, okay. I see. Pretty soon John Avelson shows up. They introduced me to him. He looks at me and he says, Oh, well, how old are you? And I said, I'm 22, sir. And he goes, ah, you look young enough. Let's, let's, let's sign him up. So they were under the gun, you know, so he didn't have time to really think about it. He was just like, yeah, he's young enough. He's close enough. is good enough. And Fumio Demaro says to him, Hey, John, listen, this kid, he's okay. And Mr. Avelson said, well, good enough for me. Says it good enough for me. And that's how it started. Wow. And it was just, you know, it was like not the part I thought I was going to get, but Fortunately for Karate Kid fans, I did not get that part because it would have been awful. <laughs> <laughs> and I was happy just kind of being the henchman and just kind of learning the ropes that way. Now, interestingly enough, you know, unbeknownst to me, in line was a gentleman named Sean Kanan. And he actually got in the room and did a screen test. And he did really well, but ultimately they didn't pick him. They picked this um, kid named Daryl, who was a sort of a blonde surfer kid. No acting experience, but John liked his look. And I met him, nice kid and everything. And it turns out that he just he just couldn't summon up that ferocity and that intensity. And they had to let him go. Oh, wow. So one day he's gone and I meet Sean Cannon. <laughs> and that's and then, you know, the rest is history. Right. Uh, he became the the bad boy of karate. And, you know, in all honesty, I, I don't think there's anybody who could have played that part better. At, you know, he just he did a fantastic job. And he and I have stayed in touch over the years, and he's uh, he's still doing what he's doing, you yeah. know. And uh, I he's a nice guy. Oh yeah, he's a super nice guy, super as nice. you know. Yeah, super you nice. Know? So uh, and then I, you know, I was in the unions, Screen Actors Guild, and I went through several agents over the years. Went through a lot of uh, they call it feast or famine, where you're either like really, really doing well or you're not doing so well at all. Mm-hmm. And I was definitely in that famine, famine stage for decades. I couldn't get hired, couldn't get work. Maybe we get an agent, couldn't get an audition, and really did a number on my self-esteem. 
So that was one of the reasons why I actually like started teaching full time. I needed to uh, provide food for my family, and uh, eventually, you know, in 2005, my wife uh, we just, we got married in 2006, and she said, "Listen, if you want to do this, do it. You acting, you know, you could do both." And I asked a friend of mine who was an actor. I said, "How's the business changed?" She says, "Well, it's digital now." And there's a lot more things being produced because of the digital medium. So, you know, they don't have to, you know, use film. And, you know, those old black and white pictures we used to bring? Well, they use color now. And I'm like, oh, my God, color? <laughs> if we showed up with color picture back in the day, they'd laugh at us because, you know, what are you, an amateur? And now if you show up with a black and white picture, they're like, what are you, an amateur? <laughs> wow. <laughs> what are you, stuck back in the 80s? You know, stuck back in the 80s? So more opportunities came up. I was able to work student films. We were able to work independent projects, you know, and also able to produce my own content. And one of those things is my show called 52 Masters, mm -hmm. which is I, I got this idea when I was almost 52 years old. I said, you know, 52 is kind of a cool number. 52 weeks in a year, 52 cards in a deck. I'm about to turn 52. Let's do a show called 52 Masters where... I go train with 52 different martial arts experts, masters, and then we'll do an interview afterwards. And it started off as sort of being, okay, we'll just do 15 minutes, keep it short and sweet. And that worked for a while, but then pretty soon the episodes got longer and longer. And now they're clocking in in like an hour, hour and a half, just because they're so interesting. I don't want to cut. It's like, you know, the episode is what it deserves to be. So I have done... I think I've got about 15 more to go. I got a little sidetracked. You know, COVID came along and Sometimes logistically it's tough because it's just me and my camera guy and whoever the talent is, you know, at their school or my school. And sometimes logistics don't work out. So I'm 55 now. I got to get this thing done before I turn 56. Um, so I've got about 15 more episodes to go and hopefully done and we can move on to something else. Okay. Yeah. I'm just actually but, looking, looking through the list and, and some great people you've trained with on here. You just I've, just looking at, at episode one right there, uh, Eamon Santo. That's oh man, yeah, that's cool. that was Capoeira. he's phenomenal. You know, he's yeah. Mark DeCosco's, you know, Capoeira instructor. Yep, we've had Takubota, Benny the Jet, Urquidez, Graciela Casillas, Ron, Tom, Ron Thomas, mother Ron Thomas, yep. Daryl Vidal, and then you know, we've also had a lot of people who you may not know who've never been on the cover of a magazine but who I know personally, who I liked and respected and who are doing a lot of good. And my, my whole thing is, look, it doesn't matter if you're famous or not. I, I, you know, if I like what you're doing and I respect it, I want to participate and I want you to be on the show. And that's part of it too. It's very grassroots. So great. it's developed a, you know, its own following, you know, it's not, you know, millions and millions of viewers, but the viewers I have are very loyal and they really appreciate it anytime I, I put out an episode. And it's very good for the person who's in it. Sort of, you know, it's it's nice for them to be featured and uh, it it's gotten a lot of positive reviews. Great. That's kind of like the idea I have for this show. My, the whole idea between this podcast was a, a mixture of martial artists you've heard of and many you haven't. I just kind of went back and interviewed like my original instructors from you know back when I started back in the eighties and combined mm. it with people who were more well-known and even, you know, people who maybe aren't well-known, but you probably know something they've been involved in and stuff. And it's the fans really, the, the listeners really enjoy it. I think so. They, they like the variety. 
Who are some of your favorites that you've interviewed besides William Christopher Ford? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, and, and I, I, I'm just kidding. Let, you know, just so your listeners know, I'm 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 totally kidding. You know, I'm just you know I'm just making a joke there. Well, I've, know, I've, but uh, I've been like I said, I've been lucky. I've had you know because I've met people just through through other people and stuff. And I you know this is like you'll actually end up being I think you'll end up being episode fifty. So I've been going almost a year. Oh, that's uh, great. Yeah, that's yeah. But I've had number. like um, Tom Bleeker was one of my first ones was was amazing yeah uh, i did herb perez olympic gold medalist who i've known oh, yeah. for yeah i met before one of my favorite ones and i was so glad i got it i was lucky enough to interview james demile about six months before oh, he passed away oh my gosh that's that's amazing yeah. and i didn't even realize he had passed away i found out from one of my guests i was actually interviewing one of my guests and he brought it up during the interview that he had just passed mm. away like two weeks prior and i'm like mm. what yeah wow. yeah so that one was that one was that one was hard, and like I mentioned before, Ed Parker Jr. Uh, was was a great yeah. one. Uh, I'm trying to think, going through my list here. Uh, Michael Dillard was a great interview, the uh, CEO of uh, Century and Black Belt. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've met him in Las Vegas. Yeah, before. yep. Yeah, nice, he was nice a fun guy. one. Larry Tatum's was good. Uh, Carmichael Simon, if you know who he is, uh, mm. was a top uh, tournament competitor, like NASCAR circuit, and the and he was on WMAC Masters in the '90s. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. He was a really good one. I did uh, Cynthia Rothrock uh, was one, last oh, yeah. week, last week's episode. Yeah. Uh, Ron Van Cleef, Sean Kanan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You've, yeah. you've interviewed a lot of great people. Yeah. I just did uh, Kathy Long last week. That episode will be airing mm. in a couple of weeks. So yeah, it's, I've, it's been a lot of fun. I, Donnie Williams is coming up. I'm going to be hopefully interviewing him in the next week or two. And, and actually, um, Sensei Demera has said, yes, I just haven't been able to schedule it yet. So. Oh, you know, you, you, yeah, you, you need to get him on the show. I've interviewed him for 52 masters, but I, oh, cool. I've been sitting on the episode just because, I kind of want to save him for like the last five that I release, you know, like let's yeah. let the last five be sort of like, you know, the, my, my top five favorite who I feel are like, you know, the most iconic and who are, who are truly, you know, masters of the masters, if you know what I mean, you know, so I'm trying to get Dan and Osanto and Hicks and Gracie, yep. you know, in there. And uh, I've already shot the one with Sensei Fumio Demera, but that was a couple of years ago before the pandemic. So, you know, you can mm-hmm. see I'm visibly heavy, heavier in, in the episode. <laughs> so I may have to t- film a disclaimer uh, video in front of that going, yeah, we'll have your back then, just a little bit. You can tell, you know, a little bulkier, you know. Nice. Um, nice. But, you know, what you're doing, I think what we're doing is important because, we, you know, we're, we're capturing history, you right. know, and, you know, people can look back, especially students of that style and students of that individual and go back and listen to your episodes, you know, or watch my episodes. It's important. And, you know, it's not just about the technique. It's about, you know, what this person believes and what legacy they want to leave. So I think you're doing very important work and I'm very, very honored to be on your show. I was really um, tickled that you asked me. And I also wanted to apologize to you for getting so long. I, I, I think I told you initially in the initial contact we had, it's like, yeah, you got to kind of like bug me because I get distracted. And sure <laughs> enough, I did, yep. you know, and I was thinking, wasn't somebody, wasn't somebody going to get me on a show? And then, then lo and behold, you know, like it, all of a sudden your, your message popped up and it's like, oh yeah. I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm very Brian. patient. And I have a little podcast, uh, not little sticky notes. Be like, don't forget to get back with this person in a couple of weeks. And, I actually, I actually, that just remind me, I have to actually send an, another message to uh, Simon Ree because he, he had said to get a hold of him in the new year. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, def- yeah, definitely want to get him another on one of the show. greats. Yeah. One of the people I admired back, in, you know, when I was doing tournaments, you know, he used to compete too. And him and his brother, you know, he and his brother, uh, Philip. Yep. But, 
you know, now he's, you know, you know, one of the greats, not only in martial arts, but in the stunt world as well. And, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, definitely, you know, they, they were doing some badass Taekwondo back then. And, yeah. and, you know, oh, definitely, definitely. When you mentioned stunts, uh, another interview I should mention, you'd probably enjoy is Rick Avery. I'm sure if you've done oh, stunts, you probably oh heard of him. <laughs> yeah. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. That, um, that was a really then, fun interview. <laughs> And then, you know, let me know if there's uh, people that I have connected with that you want to try to interview for your show. You know, I certainly can. Uh, I appreciate uh, that. You know, let me know. I yeah. mean, there are, there are a ton of people I know that would love to be on your show. You I'm know, and, always uh, looking for guest suggestions and I'll, I'll send you my, my dream list of guests and any that you could help with. I'd greatly appreciate it. But <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> but okay. Terrific. So, definitely. But so question I want to ask you, one a couple of questions that I ask all my guests and Someone approaches you that they've never done martial arts in your life and they know you run a school uh-huh. and they're like, I'm looking for advice. What do I look for in a school? What do I look for in an instructor? And what are maybe some things to avoid? What are just a couple tips you'd give some people? Well, I, I think first of all, you have to feel like if you have, do you have a, a connection to this person? You like you trust them. Now I'm very leery of somebody who, you know, pulls into the office and then you gotta, you know, they, the first thing they do is they pull out the contract and, <laughs> You know, it becomes kind of like a used car salesman, right? I feel like somebody, you know, if you can watch the class, great. Or, you know, in this day and age, you know, at least watch a video or something, check out the reviews, so on and so forth. But I feel like you've got to, it's got to personally, the the, the system that you're, that's being taught and the person, if it feels like it resonates with you, that's kind of a good clue. But I think also there are some instructors who, almost have uh, cult-like practices, not to the extreme, you mm. know, where they're leading a full-fledged cult, but it can be kind of like that in terms of how they manipulate, you know, how they control people, right. you know, where it's, I'm the only style and, I'm, you know, and, you know, don't look at anything else because, you know, we're the, we're the only, you know, legitimate, then you have to be careful of people who uh, badmouth other systems and other instructors, but yeah, I, I personally look for somebody is like, do I like this person? Do I like what they're teaching? Do I like their teaching style? Does it fit my personality? And, you know, do I think I can benefit from this person? I put myself in the student's shoes. There are some people who maybe my style of teaching is too relaxed. So they're looking for something where it's a lot more structure and a lot more discipline. And I can certainly refer to friends friends that I have. And there are some people who maybe feel like, no, no, this is... This is exactly what we're looking for. So that's what I would recommend to somebody, you know, mm-hmm. got to do your homework first a little bit, you know, but, yeah. you know, if you feel that, if you feel comfortable and it resonates with you, then give it a try, you know? Good answer. I like that. So now you've primarily trained in traditional martial arts throughout your career. So I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on MMA and the UFC? And are you a fan? I am a fan. And, um, and you know, here's the thing. I think that UFC is the greatest thing they have in the martial arts and the worst thing if in regards <laughs> to traditional martial arts at the same time. And yep. I think, I think you understand where I'm coming from. Definitely. Um, you know, I have a tremendous amount of respect for, you know, the visibility that it's brought to martial arts, you know, um, the, the idea that, Hey, you know, this is where in this particular arena, you know, the pillars being boxing, kickboxing, jujitsu, wrestling, and, you know, maybe, you know, something else, Muay Thai or Karate or something, you know, there's sort of like the pillars of MMA, but there's also, you know, conditioning, uh, fitness, nutrition, weight loss, you know, preparing for the fight is not easy. If it's a difficult life, it's very, very Spartan and very much like the modern day gladiators, you know, and 
some of the, the fighters are just you know, they're just amazing in, in what they can do you know dealing with loss dealing with you know everything they've got to go through it's not easy it's not easy and there's a lot that can be taken from that the trash talk you know the thing is is that you that used to bother me and it'd be like well you know they're not really being really great role models for the kids and then I thought about it. It's like, well, you know what? That's not their purpose. Their purpose is it's the fight game. Mm-hmm. So I also realized that a lot of the trash talk is designed to sell tickets. So it's actually encouraged, you know, where it's like, we're going to start a beef. Now they're really fighting. You know, I'm not saying it's fixed, but yeah. it's much more interesting when, you know, I might not really be mad at this person, but if we start throwing personal stuff back and forth and we create a feud, a beef it sure is going to sell a lot of tickets and you know a lot more people are going to make a lot more money right (laughs) you know and these guys you know they got to put food on their table when i say guys i mean you know men and women you know so i think overall you know yes i am a fan and if people are looking for something more spiritual you know and you could find spirituality within mma training too it's what you want to get out of it you don't necessarily have to be a professional mma fighter or or engage in the trash talk, even if you are professional. And Stephen Thompson comes to the mind. He's always very class act, you know, Leo Machida. You know, there's certain guys, George St. Pierre, my favorite, you know, maybe, maybe the GOAT. But I think that's what traditional martial arts is good for, you know. If respect, honor, discipline, uh, humility. Now, all those things I mentioned, with the exception of humility, is in MMA. Humility is something that maybe is not, like, necessarily in the top five list. But you will find fighters who do have it. And there is something about going out there and giving it your all. You know, when you're rolling on the mat with somebody where you're kind of forced to be humble because there's always somebody better than you. And if you're going to train and train with that many people, you're going to tap out a lot. You're, you're going <laughs> to, yes, you know, sir. that's just part of the process. So, you know what? It may not seem like there's humility but there is i think with within the sports and and within you know everybody's individual camp so that's my kind of long answer to your to your short question that's a good answer though all right if you had to pick just one and to be honest most of my guests can't pick just one but if you had to try to pick just one martial artist that you truly admire whether it's someone you've actually met someone you've actually trained with or just someone like a bruce lee that you know you idolize as you know on the movie screen well do you consider boxing a martial art or 100% yes okay I'm gonna go with a woman named Lucia Riker okay Uh, that was an unexpected uh pick and people you know oftentimes expect me to say either Muhammad Ali or Bruce Lee who are definitely you know in my in my uh on my heroes list but uh, Lucia Riker you know being you know such an outstanding boxer at the time, you know, breaking into an, an industry that was, you know, mostly men, right? And uh, doing what she did pre-MMA is 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 very amazing. You know, she's she's a phenomenal person. I've had a chance to. I've never trained with her, but I did some um, coaching under her. You know, some personal coaching. You know, in, in in some regards of some aspects of my personal life and and my business that she did. She she, she kind of coached me through a few sessions and. She gave me a lot of nuggets of wisdom that I'm able to uh, draw upon. So that's who I'm going to pick today. If I, if I could do my top 10 list at some point, I would. <laughs> but if I'm going to pick one, 
I'm going to go with Lucia. And she shared with me that, you know, she she's changed since she was younger. You know, there was there was more ego when she was younger and she's definitely changed. But, you know, I just uh, I just love her. It's cool. great. That's the one that's never been mentioned before in the show. So I, I like hearing new ones like that. That's a good one. All right. So in all your years of traditional martial arts, is there a philosophy you've learned? Maybe one that just stands out at the top that you keep coming back to. You still like teaching in your classes today. I kind of bundle bundle these five things into one. Okay. Um, one is do your best. Two is don't give up. Three is learn from your mistakes. Four, be humble. And five, have fun. Those are kind of the things. And nice. respect is really important. Mm-hmm. You know, I think uh, in order to get respect, true respect, you have to give it. And that goes from my side to the kid's side and my side to the student's side, side too. You know, I I treat kids with respect. And I, I'm not like, you have to respect me because I'm the sensei. You know, respect goes two ways. And you give it freely and you get it back. Not always from the same person, mm-hmm. but it always comes back to you. Yeah, that's good. Another great answer. I like that. All right, a few fun ones to wrap it up. Do you have a favorite martial arts book? Favorite martial arts book? I, I got to put the Book of Five Rings by Miyamoto Musashi up there. Nice. Right um, answer. There was also a book called. It was a book called by Joe Himes. Ah, Zen in the martial arts. Zen in the martial <laughs> arts. I, I would definitely put it up there. It's an easy read, oh, okay. you know, and it's. Uh, but it's 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 fantastic. It's got many fantastic lessons in there. So. You know, the Book of Five Rings is a little bit more of a, uh, what does that mean? You know, mm-hmm. I think about that, you know, um, you know, you, you, know, you got to really digest it, right? Then in the martial arts, you can read in one sitting and it's like, it's got so many great lessons in there. Okay, good. All right. So now you're kind of like me, you were a kid of the seventies and eighties. Do you have a favorite martial arts video game? Well, my <laughs> my daughter and I have this old Nintendo. We have a Nintendo set that's got all these old Nintendo games on it. Uh-huh. And, um, I can't tell you how many times she's kicked my butt in Street Fighter Two. That's um, awesome. <laughs> you know, um, my favorite characters on that are Ryu and uh, Sagat. Okay. And you know, Sagat's the big Tie Fighter with the bald head and the patch, and you know, Ryu is the you know the karate guy, and she typically picks chun Li, and for some reason just nine times out of ten you know she she defeats me and i think that 10th one she just kind of feels sorry for me so she lets me away you know? <laughs> that's great so uh yeah street fighter 2 i mean i know that's got you know more modern incarnations but you know i love the street fighter world you know yeah. where it's like you know it's really like kind of like pre-ufc where it's like okay fight you know and this style versus this style and i go to this exotic location and, and all that and i I love the characters, you know, I just, uh, you know, I'm a big um, comic book fan too. And it just, it kind of just fits into that, you know? Nice. Okay. All right. And you, for these last two, you can't pick anything you've been involved in, but favorite martial arts TV show. Favorite martial arts TV show. Hmm. I've got to think about that one. You know, I mean, you know, yeah, you can go back to the old Kung Fu show. I thought there was something more recent that I saw that was like, wow, that's really great. Um, and like I'm not, I, I don't, in, I don't include, you know, Cobra Kai because I'm connected to that, you know, universe, right. you know, and, you know, because I can't think of anything good right now, I'm, I'm going to go with Kung Fu because that was the one that really started it all for me. So let's, let's take it all the way back to the beginning. And, okay. You know, it, it, it did have an impact on me. 
and you know that that kind of led me eventually to where I am today. Okay. So let's go with kung fu. <laughs> there we go. There. So I just thought of a different question since you kind of mentioned Cobra Kai. I'm I'm curious when you, you know, being connected to that world when you first heard that the show was coming out back in was it 2018 that they were doing mm. a new series based on that. What was your first initial thought, and then what was your thought after you actually watched some episodes? Oh, I rolled my eyes. I was like, oh boy, well, we just, this is just what we need. Another, another reboot, you know, just like all these other movies out yep. there. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. There's nothing original anybody can come up with. Right. And people are saying, oh, I've seen Cobra Kai. I've seen Cobra Kai. It's really good. And I'm just like, please. You know? And uh, I did eventually get around to watching the first episode of season one. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this is uh, interesting. You know, they, they took it in a direction. I didn't think was they were going to take it. Yep. And Here's what I think, you know, my honest thoughts on Cobra Kai is that the creators are fans and they respect the fandom and they respect the original source material. Yes. And they've been able to dimensionalize it in ways that are really super creative and super clever, which have been unexpected. So there have been a lot of really kind of interesting, cool surprises. Now, me personally, I like the scenes where they bring, you know, the old actors in and they have a scene where they're talking like human beings. Yep. So, you know, when you've got scenes with Johnny and Daniel talking about, you know, what happened and it's like, no, no, this is what happened. And then they're actually like going, Oh, there was a miscommunication or mm-hmm. it wasn't like that. It wasn't, it's, you know, it's not like this one dimensional. It's like, you know, they've been able to really flesh out the characters. Now, have you seen season four? Oh yeah. I watched it in one day. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> yes. you know, I'm not going to spoil it right now, right. but man, who saw that coming? You know, know what I mean? Like I the ending, and, you know, just <laughs> you know, taking it in turns that were like, who saw that coming, you yep. know? And, uh, you know, season three, they had, uh, Kumiko come back and that Chosen was, come yes, back. That was awesome. And, and you know, the scenes that they had with them were were really well acted and poignant, you know, and I know Yuji very well. I mean, you know, we're not like, we don't hang out, but, you yeah. know, I, 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 he, I consider him a good friend and, you know, he lives up in Seattle. He's a really good guy. Yeah. He's a good guy. Um, not a martial artist, really, but he's a good mm-hmm. guy and a good actor. But, you know, Tamalyn Tomita is amazing. He's got... You know, her range is so much greater than I think people realize. But, you know, she's a legitimate actor. And uh, when she's in scenes, I, I definitely feel emotion. Yeah. For me, I mean, Karate Kid is the reason I got involved in martial arts. I've told the story on my uh-huh. show many times. I, we went to an opening weekend and there was a local instructor handing out free passes uh, to his school. I mean, which, you know, phenomenal marketing in 1984. But, yeah, that's what started my martial arts journey. And so I've always had such a connection to that show and the universe and stuff. So when, yeah, when it came out, I was kind of the same thing. I'm like, oh man, this is not going to be good. Cause I know they talked about it in the past and it never came <laughs> fruition, but then, yeah, that first episode, I'm like, I'm watching every one of them tonight. <laughs> I'm like, this is, this is so good. And the same thing, whenever they brought the old people in from the old show, I, just, I got, I got chills. I got emotional. It was, yeah, it's so, so I'm, I'm so waiting for season five right now. They better not make me wait a year. <laughs> <laughs> thing also brian you know you know you know let's be honest karate kid 3 has got its flaws in it and it's probably you know the least liked of the three movies and there's some of it that's outright ridiculous you know i mean it would be like elon musk going out and uh i'm gonna go pick on these two karate guys you know and stuff like that it's just like he he would never do that you know really so that he can open up a chain of schools like you're a billionaire dude why do you need to open up karate school you know it's it's it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But 
What Cobra Kai does is it makes the movies better because it fills in the gaps and it plugs in the holes, you know, and it kind of retcons some things and explains some things. So you just kind of go, oh, okay, you know what? I can kind of go with it now. It makes, you know, you know, you kind of acknowledge certain things and it's like, okay, they did a good job of like, hey, let's call it for what it is. And then you kind of go, okay. I can go with that. You know, Karate Kid 3 being the weakest of the three, in my opinion, and people hating it. But when it was announced that Thomas Ian Griffith was returning as Terry Silver, it broke the internet, you know? And I'll tell you two quick stories. You know, Thomas Ian Griffith, you know, he's a legitimate Taekwondo guy from what I understand, you know, he knows Taekwondo. And he's doing the scene in the, in the hot, he's in a sauna, right? And John... Alvelson says, I want you to, you know, he's supposed to be talking to John Kreese, and John says, you know, make him bleed, make his knuckles bleed. <laughs> and he's like, ha, I like that. <laughs> yep. And he's really over the top. He's, you know, twirling his mustache and whatnot. And Thomas is a legitimately trained actor, and he's a good one. And he said, John, are, are you sure? <laughs> and John's like, yes, yes, that's how we're going to sell this. You know, we, I want it over the top. Yep. Thomas is like, uh... John, you're sure? Is that how you want me to play it? And he says, yeah. And so Thomas didn't want to play it that way, but he did it. You know, he said, okay, you know, and he did it that way. And people ridiculed that performance. You know, it was like, oh my God, that was so over the top. He almost felt bad for Thomas as an actor because it was like, hey, he was just doing what the director told him to. But it comes back. And, you know, part of the reason why Terry Silver was so memorable because he was over the top. Mm-hmm. You know, so it kind of makes him this great cheesy villain and he's able to kind of go back and it's kind of meta where he's like, yeah, I was pretty over the top back then. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the best part is in season four of Cobra Kai, they explain why he acted that way and everyone's like, oh yeah, that makes so much sense now. <laughs> right. So, yeah. And then there is um, another story about Mr. Ralph Macchio. I've told this before. I don't know if you've heard this, but, you know, we're doing that scene in the bonsai shop where, you know, we come in and uh, we want him to sign the application. And Sean, as Mike Barnes says, hey, Dennis, he didn't sign it yet. And so I, you know, grab some I, I karate chop the shoji screens and then I confront him and, you know, he says, hey, why don't you guys just get out of here and take off? And I push him and he says, you take off, right? And then I throw a punch at Ralph and he blocks it, throws a knee into my stomach and like throws me across the room. And I didn't have that line originally, you know, and, and so... We're working the scene and, you know, Pat Johnson saying, okay, then you're going to throw this right, you know, right hook at Ralph. Ralph's going to block it. And he says to John, you know, Mr. Macho says, John, can you give him a line? Because I need something, a little bit more motivation to, to kind of get me worked up. And so John says, oh, okay. And he looks at me and says, um, okay, then you say, you push him and say, you take off. And okay, that was my line. So it was because of Ralph Macchio that I got that line. You know, I was hired on, I made it into SAG anyways. I was hired on as a, a sort of an actor stunt guy. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was, it, it was, it wouldn't have made that much of a difference, but it made a difference because I had that prominent line. And I, I was really, really grateful to Ralph for doing that. And then years later, maybe, I don't know, it seems like a year and a half ago, I was a guest on this 
podcast that was held by Just Gad, who was yeah. the voice of Olaf. That you was know, awesome. Frozen. Yes, I loved that. Oh, you saw that? Yeah, oh, I watched it, so yes. I was lucky enough to be invited on that as part of like the reunion. Mm-hmm. This is really cool. You know? And so when they taped it, you know, they, they actually, the edited version, they cut a lot out. Mm-hmm. You know, but we were able to say a lot more. And when he finally came to me, and I knew I, I had just a little bit of time, and I wanted to say what I wanted to say. And I said, I just wanted to, you know, I, I explained to the audience, you know, and to everybody there, what I just told you. And I said, and, and I had not, have not had a chance to actually properly thank Ralph. And I just wanted to take this opportunity to say thank you for doing that. I really, really appreciate you you know, throwing that to me and, and, and giving me that line. That's cool. And then, and then they cut to Ralph's expression where he's just like, you know, you could tell he's, he's moved by that, you know, but I was just so happy that I could properly do that publicly and, and give acknowledgement to him. And, you know, I'm glad that he's finally getting a lot of the respect and recognition that he deserves over the years, you know, because, you know, Ralph is a really good actor and he's a good guy. Yeah. And, you know, he's done a lot of stuff outside of Karate Kid, which mm-hmm. people have forgotten. You know, he did um, Crossroads. Yeah, outside, oh, Crossroads was awesome. I love that movie. You know, that ending with Stevie Vai was just amazing, you yeah. know. And he did uh, My Cousin Vinny. Yes, <laughs> you know? I love that, yes. And, and he's done Broadway and he yeah. dances, you know. So he's a phenomenal talent and, you know, became kind of a joke after Karate Kid 3 for a while, you know, and people have, you know, people can be mean, but, you know, I mean, he's, he's got tough skin, you know, but it's just, look, you have no idea of how talented this guy is. He, he really can do a, quite a lot, you know, he's directed and, you know, so on and so forth. But so that was one of the, the highlights for me was uh, just being able to publicly acknowledge him for that. That's awesome. All right. Two more, two, so, more, two more really quick two more questions. questions. Yeah. Two more quick okay. ones. Um, okay. Favorite martial arts movie. And again, uh, can't, can't pick one of yours, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> that one's actually a pretty easy question. Um, okay. The 36th chamber of Shaolin, so, which is known here as the master killer. And it starred Gordon Liu. Great movie. And, uh, fantastic movie. Um, just amazing kung fu and uh i love gordon lu mm-hmm. and you know and his his chinese name i think is lu cha wei mm-hmm. uh it looks like lu cha hui but i think it's pronounced lu cha wei and um that's my favorite and mm-hmm. uh enter the dragon is number two nice. those are those are my two favorite movies I, actually, martial arts wise. I picked up 36 chambers of the shaolin in like the five dollar bin at walmart like 10 years ago on dvd and i was like oh you've got to be kidding me this is only five dollars <laughs> so yeah i grabbed that one pretty quick <laughs> well the kung fu is really classic old school hungar but also there's so many great lessons in that movie yes you know the the ultimate lesson of forgiveness and you know he wants kung fu for revenge and ultimately he achieves redemption through forgiving uh his enemy you know, forgiving, you know, he, 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 he evolved to that point where he actually, that is the 36 chamber, you know, that mm-hmm. the enlightenment, I just love that. And final question. This is the one I just recently added to start asking. And this one, it doesn't necessarily have to be a martial arts movie, but do you have a favorite martial arts fight scene or one that you think is the most realistic martial arts fight scene in a movie? There's a couple that I really like, okay. and um, one is not strictly a martial arts movie, but I really like how it was done, and it was with uh, Denzel Washington, and it was called The Equalizer. Oh, yeah, the new one, yeah. And he goes into uh, into the den of the Russian mob, and he's he's there to basically buy this girl's freedom, this young girl who has um, 
you know, they're they're basically they're sex trafficking trafficking her, and he knows her. She kind of, you know, he comes into the she comes into the same cafe that he eats at, and they they become friends. And he goes in there, you know, basically saying, "Hey, you know, I want to buy the girl's freedom." And they basically say, "Get out of here, man! You know, what are you crazy?" And so he goes and he locks the door and he sets his timer, and it's thirty seconds, and he makes quick work of these guys yep. and it's so satisfying and you know using a lot of you know, filipino martial arts techniques with the knife and things like that that's one of my favorite scenes but there's another movie called ip man donnie yen donnie yen <laughs> now my favorite scene in that movie is actually where the guy comes from the out you know he's, he comes from the other town trying to make a name for himself as a martial artist so he can you know so he goes around beating up all these martial arts masters and you know and they, they go eat noodles and the guy serving the noodles that says well you haven't beaten anybody you know you haven't beat it and they're like who's this it and so they go to his house and they challenge him right and his wife is like you know he doesn't want to fight and she says look you know, the guy insults him and says, oh, you know, maybe, you know, maybe your wife, you know, is, is more able to handle things. And she just she looks at this guy and she's like, all right, you know, teach this guy a lesson, but don't break my furniture, you know. And, you know, she he just all of a sudden there's that turning point and then he just schools this guy. And it's so beautifully choreographed and beautifully shot. And I, I, I just watch that scene over and over again. It's just uh it's so good. Nice. Um, if I have to pick one, cool. No, and that's that's the one that comes to mind. It's, that's at the forefront of my mind right those, now. Those are, I, just, those I just love that scene. <laughs> those are good picks, very definitely. Well, I just want to thank you, man. This has been so much fun. I've I've loved hearing hearing your story and your background and everything. And and I will put links for any of your stuff you want. I'll put a link for your for your school for your IMDP page. Definitely for for Fifty Two Masters. I'll put the link for that because that just looks like a great series. I'm actually going to start watching it tonight. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's on YouTube. You know, I mean, it's also on Tubi, but, you know, all of the episodes are on YouTube. So if okay. you look up 52 Masters, it's very easy to find. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, my MDP page, all that stuff it would be great. But I, I hope I didn't talk too much. I know this is a talk show and oh, I'm yeah. supposed to talk. But I just wanted to be very conscious of not completely dominating the conversation. <laughs> I, I, mean, other, I It's not a monologue. It's a dialogue. Right. So I hope that I gave you a chance to uh to speak to and uh you know I, I know how it can be you either get a guest who just answers you with one word answers and it's yep. like pulling teeth yep. or you get somebody where you know you get them on and you literally go you know eat a sandwich take a nap and watch the entire <laughs> game of thrones and come back and they're still talking you know so i i, I, I hope i fell somewhere in between no, I, I prefer the guests who like to talk it's uh, i've been i started on radio when i was 15 so i've been interviewing people for a long time and, yeah, you're very good. By oh, the way. thank you. I appreciate that. That means a lot, actually. And my whole thing is, in my opinion, for a good interview, they should hear the the interviewer's voice maybe ten to twenty percent of the time, and the guest right. voice seventy to eighty percent of the time or more. It's like it's supposed to be about the guest and hearing their story and stuff. And no, it's it's. I thought it was a great interview. I, I really enjoyed it a lot. It felt like we hit that ratio. So yeah, uh, as long so. as you're happy, and uh, <laughs> if, if that was great, I'm. I felt very comfortable and. I, I think that you are a great interviewer. I can tell that there's interest in your voice and you ask very good questions. And it seems like you are very actually genuinely interested, you know, and I've interviewed with quite a few people, some of them great. Some of them, you know, are maybe just starting out, you know, some fans mm -hmm. have interviewed me and they're not quite as polished. So they ask a question and then it's sort of like, 
you know, it's almost like they're kind of like reading the question. And, and I always like to engage in dialogue if I can, right. you know, and say, well, what do you think about that? You know, and sometimes that throws people. But, you know, you're very good conversationalist. And it just felt like we're a couple old friends and we're just I happen to be telling my story today. But I, I did feel very comfortable. And, you know, again, you're very good at this. No, so keep I, doing it. Seriously, I truly appreciate it. And like I said, this time wise, we went a little over average, but nowhere near my longest ones so i've had well i've had a few people that talked even longer so it's 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 a perfect perfect for me and once i edit it it'll probably take about 10 minutes out and stuff just editing yeah pauses and, and stuff you want and, out, out of it I, mean, I, I, I won't edit like anything you said i basically edit out like dead sometimes when you're doing it through phone and stuff there's like it may seem like a half a second pause to you but it's like three or four seconds actually because of the delay with the phone and stuff like that so sure. usually on average, most, most interviews, I'll take out 10 minutes that won't actually take out any of the conversation at all of <laughs> just dead space that in between conversations and stuff. So it'll, it'll well, be I've been working on trying to limit my ums and ahs <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I do, and, I do take know, out some of those. <laughs> so I know it's inevitable and there's always going to be some of those because that's just natural human conversation, but I am aware of it much yeah. more aware of it now than when i first started so i try to uh, limit the number of times you have to take that out oh yeah and i think at one <laughs> point i did hear my dog barking in the background so i'll have to edit that out too <laughs> so no worries no yeah worries. no it's all good thanks for listening to everyday martial artists we hope you will join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story if you enjoy the show be sure to leave us a review also be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com there you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist, and we'll see you next week.